Hey everybody, it's Richard Harrison, Scott Weiss with another episode of the Surf and Sales podcast brought to you uh, this month, June by Sendoso Scratchpad at Outreach.io. Um, if you're going to go check out Outreach, which we encourage, please go to click.outreach.io forward slash surf. I don't know what the special landing page says, but I'm sure there's something in. It says Outreach is free. free. Yeah, it says Outreach is free, free right for now. everybody. So, and, and since Molly's here from Outreach <laughs> um, as our guest, uh, Molly Grossman, why don't you take a minute, introduce yourself, what your role is, um, yeah. people some context of where, where you're coming from. Yeah, sure. Um, I love the outreach is free part. Definitely don't mention my name. Um, <laughs> but no, I have been at outreach Beep. for <laughs> I have been at outreach for two and a half, uh, nearly three years. Um, I started out as an SDR. Um, I now oversee our SMB SDR segment, so EMEA and North America. Um, and yeah, so went from SDRing to managing. Um, and just loving life ever since. So did you go SDR to managing SDRs to AE? Like how did, what was your progression? So I went to, from SDR to, I mean, they've got so many titles, right? And something that's like a pet peeve of mine is all the titles of different companies always mean different things. But at Outreach, you've got a senior SDR, then we've got a team lead, which basically means you manage SDRs and then manager. So I manage managers of SDRs so I don't actually directly manage SDRs anymore um so I haven't yet been an AA um, okay got yeah. it got it so it's so I'm gonna ask a question so are you are you millennial are you millennial what does that mean like are you uh, that's the um, best response I've ever heard to that <laughs> that question. is the best response so it's sort of like you know I'm Gen X Scott's more oh, okay. like borderline Gen X he likes to say he's Gen X but he's not uh, and then there's like millennial and Gen Z, like the current group. Where do you think you? So I'm a bit embarrassed because I know that my age group should know these terminologies. Um, the I'm, a 90, I'm, I'm a 90s baby. There you go. So, yeah, the re- so here's, here's the reason I'm asking is because yeah. I was talking to, um, uh, oh, who's, who's the doctor UT Dallas? Who's the Dover. Howard, that, Howard Dover. Yeah, Howard Dover last week. And he was telling me about sort of Gen Z's coming up and, you know, they're all coin operated. They could care less about titles. And he's like, you know, we millennialized the titles for the last 10 years because every millennial wanted to be promoted in six months. And now the Gen Z's coming in and saying that, well, why are you giving me a promotion in six months? I don't know that I've done anything to earn it. Like it's a completely different mindset. So just when you were sort of like, oh, we got so many titles, it just sort of made me, that's where that question came from. Was like, so. I just, I just want to clarify. I'm a, I'm a millennial, right? That's yes. yeah, like okay. All right. Yeah. Um, I think it's, I think it's interesting because in, when you're in SDR world, everyone has an idea in their minds about how quickly a promotion has to happen and what promotion looks like. And if they don't get that promotion, to senior SDR or to AE, basically out of the SDR org. It's like a real problem in terms of like retention and kind of like trying to level set expectations. And obviously my career doesn't help that level setting expectations because I appreciate I was like the first EMEA SDR. So I was kind of right place, right time. Um, but yeah, 
I would I would say that a lot of conversations I have with SDRs and SDR managers is still retention and kind of those mini promotions. So that title, that's why there are these so many titles. Um, and I actually don't, pardon. As you, as you came in as an SDR, did you care about title? No, no, I didn't. And did you care about being promoted quickly? Um, yeah, I did. Do you know what it was? It wasn't, it's promote, wanting to be promoted quickly when you're really young, I think it's just, you just want recognition and you want to feel valued. And I think it's actually a much more emotional thing that you basically want someone to say, you know, you've been doing a great job and we appreciate you. And this is the recognition you're getting for that. Um, and that comes across in a promotion, obviously. And trying to find alternative ways for that is sometimes quite tricky. I love what you that, said. Sorry, go ahead, Scott. Do you think that getting those step-ups and those promotions so fast, like five months in the senior role, seven months in the team lead role, do you think that that ever sort of adds to like a sense of imposter syndrome? Like, holy shit, how am I here? How am I in this role? Do I even know what I'm talking about? Because I'm asking that because I was only an individual contributor for seven months before I got moved into a sales leadership role. And then I was in sales leadership roles for my entire career. And mm. I've always had this like little bit of imposter syndrome. Like, do I even know what I'm talking about? I'm going to get found out that I'm an idiot and I don't yeah. belong here. I'm wondering if the speed of the promotion augments that a little bit I think um yeah like short answer yes I definitely get that I see that and there are definitely roles that I wouldn't feel comfortable to take like I think it's quite obvious it's like a really it's like a candid market so it's no shock and outreach don't recoil when you hear me say this but obviously it's quite normal to have recruiters approach you and it's always shocking to me if someone says come be an A manager and I'm like I've never done it. Like I could not do that. And a lot of people I know don't think that to manage a certain team, you need to have actually done the role for that longer period. I personally um, have never felt, you know, I, I had my experience as an SDR um, and I felt that the, actually the biggest stretch for me was just learning the manager skill. Um, I knew how to be a good SDR but I didn't know how to be a good manager and I got like knocked off my like high horse very quickly when I was like, I know how to be a good SDR. Like it's a piece of cake. And then all of a sudden it got difficult when I was a team lead. And then now when I'm a manager of team leads, it's even more difficult because it's again, another skill. Um, and I'd say that more than imposter syndrome, it's just like, it's quite tiring. <laughs> I never like, I'm never just like, this is it. This is the skill I'm learning and I'm just going to hone it for a while. Cause I feel, cause I've just kept changing roles quite quickly, which I know is a good thing. So I hope it doesn't get taken away from me now that I've said this, but <laughs> that's the difficulty. What was the last, what was the last experience that you had that knocked you off the horse as you put it? Oh my gosh. Okay. So it's very recent. I back in, so I was managing our SMB EMEA SDR teams. And then I had the opportunity to take over our North America SMB 
SDR teams. And um, that was really, really difficult to manage a North American team of managers who had no idea who I was, who never saw me. Like in the UK, I go into the office probably about five days a week. Not because we have to, but we just, we love it. And, you know, you were saying tequila before, we're massive, you know, like 5 p.m. We're all going to go to the pub. We're going to get a pint and have fun. And it's a good social aspect. Like a lot of us are friends. Um, Whereas I didn't have that in North America. And all of a sudden I'm working, you know, 2 p.m. till midnight. And I've got these managers who understandably were like, who the hell are you with your weird voice? And that's not how we do things in North America. So not only was I now learning... All right, I'm managing managers, but I'm also learning a new market and I've got, you know, like 37 SDRs and it's, it was a lot and it was very humbling. Yeah. <laughs> I say did, humbling, it was exhausting. What did, what did they say? Cause I, I hear this a lot too. What did they say? Well, we don't do it that way in North America. So uh, this was my first time doing it. So I don't think the way I did it was necessarily the best way, but what I did was, I said, I basically just observed for the first, I'd say about, because obviously it's SDRing. So we're on monthly quotas. So I observed and just kind of silently watched for the first two months because there was a lot of new processes and there was a lot I didn't understand. Um, And then it was a really tough transition into, okay, I appreciate that's how we do things or did things we're going to try it my way and we're going to see what happens. So, so it wasn't <laughs> so was much fun. that it was cultural. It was just change management in general. You were changing. The it, process. Was also, it was also, it was cult. It was like a whole different mindset, which again is really hard. It was a hard skill for me to like, it was a hard muscle remote, no relation, no rapport, no relatedness. Um, and yeah, there were some like, practical process changes but a lot of it was also just like mindsetting I'd say culturally kind of like expectation setting got it got it so it wasn't as much a North American versus Europe is what I because I, I see this all the time that people love to tell me oh, well that's not going to work here and I'm like we haven't even tried it like how do you know hmm. but that's like I'd say that's like a mindset thing because it's but there are very hold on the the are you two trying to tell me, both of you, that there are not differences in the way people sell or the way people buy in Europe versus North America? Is that what I'm hearing you both agree on? Richard, do you want to answer this first or shall I? <laughs> you, do you want to take a stab at this and then I'll go I, for it? <laughs> I will, because Scott's just trying to poke the bear in me. Uh, so I'm just listening and repeating. The... Ultimately, no, the decision-making process is exactly the same everywhere in the world. How long it takes someone to go through that process is different. The way they think about it is different. So like when I I say this all the time, like, you know, and I would even say it in a management function now that I'm thinking about it, but if I'm going to go sell to somebody in the UK, I'll go Google how to sell somebody in the UK. And if I'm going to go sell somebody in France or Germany, I'll do the same thing. The, the mind shift they have to go to is exactly the same by human nature. You know, um, if I'm doing it into, you know, China or Japan or Malaysia, the same thing. Those cultures just take a lot longer. Some cultures like, like 
you know, as I understand some of the Asian cultures, like you go to a three hour dinner the first time you meet and you don't even talk about business. Like it's about that friendship and that rapport and building that kind of piece. But ultimately it's the same process. So that's my answer to the question. Yeah, I agree. I would say that from SDR world, so from that first point of contact, trying to create an opportunity out of thin air, there are definite perks and there are different differences in how, you know, a North American cold call would go. In the UK, there's a lot more rapport building and cracking jokes and building it up, whereas North American market was a lot more direct, a lot more get to the point. I don't have time for this. So there were tweaks to, you know, I would I would be in charge of something like building out the call script. Obviously, I'd make tweaks to that. But, you know, like Richard said, like the crux of it, the pains that outreach helps to overcome, the urgency, the where are you now, where do you want to be, all that kind of language and the sales methodology that we use, that doesn't change. And in fact, all our onboarding globally is the same. I know you had Brooke Bachester on a, a bit ago, you know, we do the exact same onboarding process for the UK and North America, um, just slightly different scripts and slightly different content on the emails. And that's really it. Uh, let's turn it back to you. Tell us why we're wrong. <laughs> I'm not I'm not going to because she just agreed with me. She just oh. is saying she just said she changed the talk tracks because no. people are more direct versus more chit chatty and rapport building whatnot. She disagreed with me. No, I, I, I didn't, Richard. I didn't. Basically, what I was saying, Scott, was that <laughs> it's okay. There's no offense taken, by the way. Mom. What I was saying was the main, the main body of the script, how we structure it, and like I said, the talk track is the same. All I'm saying is the difference is in the very crucial opening, which is a you know the make or break of a lot of cold calls. Rather in the UK, whereas we would start with an icebreaker and a joke. In the US, it'd be a lot more like get straight to the point and it would be a lot more kind of yeah. depositing a lot of the features, you know, what we do very quickly. Is it weird being in a, in a satellite sort of non-headquarters office kind of role? What's, what's that like being someplace that is, you know, eight hours ahead of where HQ is? Um... I think that I think that it was it, it definitely has its perks and it has its drawbacks like you know it has its perks that there's a lot of like love and attention that's actually given to our EMEA office um, and we get a lot of airtime and there's a ton of yeah like I said perks to it like great visibility um you know we've got Manny coming to the office next week um and I know for a lot of our US team like you know, we're a thousand person company, not everyone's met them. Whereas everyone in our UK office is going to have met Manny by the end of next week, which is a great thing. Drawback is we are building out the office. So there are just some things that, you know, when it takes eight hours for the other side, other office to wake up, you have to have patience, but it's what you got with working. Be, like, my biggest fear would be like, I'd wake up to a, a inbox flooded with emails like is that what happens for you like you like if, you, if you're really working from yeah. I don't know, you said two to midnight is that what you're doing yeah right like is that two to midnight uk time right yeah and that's that's unique no one else no one else okay. does that this but is just me you, because i 
Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, do you really stay off your emails before two, two in the afternoon? Like that to me, just, I just feel like it would be 20. Nobody does that. That's no different than somebody who works 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. I don't know. I just feel, I don't know. It scares the hell out of me. Well, that's just yeah. because you're old and you have to go to bed at like 8.30 at night. There's no way. It's it's no difference. It's just a shifting yeah. of, of the time. And by the way, she in the morning, if she wanted to, she's the one who would fill up your inbox with all sorts of things and get all these thoughts out of her head and then have this period of calm yeah, where nobody good. is awake over there yet. Yeah, I do. I do. See? See? I do. And they'll be like, Molly, why are you messaging me? It's two in the morning. <laughs> and I'll be like, not for me. Yeah. I've just gone for a run. And I want to talk to you about what these ideas I've had. <laughs> I would, if I was in that situation, I would want to go first. Like <laughs> you, Europe is going first, not Seattle. Fair yeah. enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, it's good. But do you know what? Actually, outreach is really good with setting boundaries. This is a word that, you know, are you Everyone good with setting? Set. Are you good with setting boundaries, though? Because a company can try to say, "Hey, don't get on Slack, don't reply. You're it's cool," but we as individuals, yeah, often throw away the nice boundaries that companies have helped put in yeah. place for us. Are you yeah. good at setting your own boundaries for, you know, personal and professional? Like, okay, I'm not going to be on email twenty four seven, and I'm going to check out and go on vacation, that kind of stuff. So I wasn't, I wasn't um, when I first started in the US hours and then to get a bit, you know, of a mellow mood, I basically got to a breaking point where I was just tired all the time. And of course I have Slack on my phone and email on my phone and it was just, yeah. And although my manager, Ken, would do his damn best to be like, get off Slack, at the end of the day, that was what I wanted to do because when you're in this kind of like stressed anxious mindset the last thing you want to do is kind of like let go of control so you try and help yourself by trying to get more control on the situation and um yeah unfortunately I I got to a point where I I had to take some time off work because I was so yeah I was so exhausted like mentally emotionally and I really was not a good version of myself um and I knew I wasn't you know like you've ever been on a one-on-one and you come off that one-on-one or you you go into like a meeting trying to like help you know one of your direct reports and you come out and you're like I wasn't on my like a game in that meeting or I wasn't actually that helpful and sometimes I'll come out and be like what was my even my advice because my (laughs) mind was like you know and I'm just like I I'm not clear on what I took from that so they're not and I was having to like reach out to my managers afterwards and be like I'm really sorry I don't think that I was very clear can we jump back on a meeting in an hour so I can have a break and have a think and then we'll get back on um which I hated I absolutely hated it um so no I wasn't good at boundaries and then I had to take like two and a half weeks off work and now I'm a lot better at boundaries Um, why 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 are you better how are you better what did you do different I realized that my job was not my life and that it was not the be all and end all and that it wasn't worth me, you know, basically emotionally drained and broken. Um, 
and that I actually was doing more harm than good. So not only was I not good for outreach, I was not good for myself. I wasn't good for my team. Um, and yeah, I also kind of, once I deleted Slack and I deleted, I mean, it was, to be honest with you, it's my family and friends who actually confiscated my laptop. Um, and I went to, yeah, they wow. took it away because they knew I'd be like checking. Cause obviously when I've got, you know, I've got like five managers. So I was like worried. I was like, I can't just, even though I was like, you know, really upset. And I was like having a real episode. I was like, I've got to, I've got to like pass off everything. I've got to have a day to hand off everything. And my family was like, what is wrong with you? Like, <laughs> you know, they just kind of like took it off. Me. Scott, next time, next time we go on vacation, Scott, I'm, I'm taking your laptop. I can't do it. I, 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 I would feel like uh, you took my heroin away from me. It would be very, very, very difficult. There's nothing wrong with that, Scott. Just so. <laughs> but the thing is, once it's gone and once you, like, you settle, I realized, and this shocked me, that outreach could function. You know, the world was not going <laughs> to Without come. Molly, it's still I know, I shouldn't be saying Molly. this on, on this. How did you, outreach, don't listen. It can't function. How, how long did, just out of curiosity, how yeah. long did it take you to detox in those first couple of days? Right. Cause it, it's, it's not easy. No. Right? Like, like, did it take you two or three days just to, or didn't it like for me, if I really shut it down, it might take me four or five days to, I mean, I'll get more relaxed quickly, but it comes in phases for me. But at that stage where you were at, how long did that take? It was so sad as well. Like I, it took me a week and I had to, you know, I, I wasn't the best on that first week. Like I was still really exhausted. Um, and luckily, and I'm not just saying this, but outreach were amazing. Like they offered me so much support. They didn't say who's going to take over all your meetings. It was just dealt with, you know, I, they couldn't even if they had tried because my laptop had been confiscated, but if they had, you know, it was all taken care of. I had loads of like actual medical help because it wasn't just like a, shut your laptop and you'll feel fine um and outreach offers that which especially for a uk company is really really something that's not actually that common you know not my mind i've got plenty of friends who are in similar industries do similar jobs in sales they wouldn't get that level of support they wouldn't get that you know i i had i had mental health professionals reaching out like you know I, I had it so easily I had so much so many resources I, I, and I asked this I'm asking at the company level so that people can hear the culture stuff like yeah so aside from outreach saying yes go take care of it they actually had some level of a program in place so that people were reaching out to you to support you not hey Molly here's a list of 12 phone numbers you could call am I, I just want to make sure I'm hearing yeah. that correctly well they can't they can't physically tell a mental health professional to reach out. You're right, you're right. You're right. But what they did have was they had, you know, next level support so that I know at a lot of places, it's like, call this number and, you know, wait five days. And it's just like so many hoops that you have to jump through. And when you feel really stressed or you feel overwhelmed, you feel anxious. Yeah, that's exactly you- what I want. Give me loads to do. When I'm uh, so tired, exhausted, sick, and depressed that I can't get out of bed, give me this exactly. list and tell me to do a bunch of shit. Exactly. Or the, the, you know, I've honestly, I've seen it all. I've seen companies that are like, go for a walk. Have you tried taking your shoes off on the grass? And it's like, are you joking me? Like, right. I don't need grass right now. 
I need <laughs> help. <laughs> I don't want that. <laughs> um, and yeah, and I literally on, and it wasn't just though, it wasn't just the resources. It wasn't just like the medical cover. Cause that's essentially what it is. Really, really good medical cover, which I know is completely different in America, but here in the UK, it's not, you know, it's that kind of level. Isn't that normal? Um, but it wasn't like that. It wasn't just like that. Like I said, it was the, like, the support from my manager, from HR. It wasn't like a, when do you think you'll be back? It wasn't, like, they did not contact me once. Like, I didn't have to deal with HR. You know, I came online, like, a week later, because that was how long it took until I was kind of like, okay, I can open my laptop, and I'm going to decide what I want to do. I opened my laptop, I spoke to my HR, and she was like, take all the time you need. And I was like, I think I want to take another week. She was like, okay. And I was like, okay. And that was it. And it was just so nice. I didn't feel like I had someone also like silently judging me, like looking at me, you know, young 20 year old person being like, yeah, you're stressed. Like, why are you stressed? Like, and you do, you get that. Like people just, you know, will be like, oh, they're young. They're weak. They don't know. They don't know work like we do. Um, and I yeah. felt really thwarted. I felt really, yeah, I didn't, I didn't feel embarrassed. I didn't feel embarrassed coming back to work either, which is a big thing. I didn't feel like everyone was talking about me. That was my, how did you ease back in so that you didn't just get sucked in, right? Like what, what kind of boundaries did you, were you able to create for yourself? Well, I'm no work, no longer working US hours. <laughs> I decided I couldn't do it. And that was like one of those things that I spoke to my manager about. And I was like, it doesn't have longevity to it um and yeah I mean I think my like I said my issues were more feeling a lot of pressure and some things that I was able to talk through which I think is really important um because it can feel like a bit embarrassing to be like I feel like if I don't do 100% well at this job xyz um and yeah that that was it it wasn't and yeah of course it was like you know take a day see how you feel yes outreach 100% gave me that structure um if i wanted it let me let me go back in time a little bit one 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 thing that i get asked all the time is what do i need to do in my current role to get positioned for this next role what do you think you did in order to move from sdr to senior from senior to lead from lead to manager what do you think it was that you did? Um, my um, my VP, uh, Tom Casley, he said to me, always make sure you accelerate out of your current role. And I would say that that was like the best advice I ever had. I feel like a lot of people, when they're looking to that next step, they forget that they're still in their role, their current role, um, and promotions are earned, not deserved. no. Yeah, earned, not deserved. A lot of people think, like I said, with the timeline, I've been here for X amount of time. You need to go above and beyond. And a lot of the time, yeah, you do need to be doing that role before you have that role. When I was in SDR, I was helping run boot camps. I was not being paid out to do that, but I wanted to. I wanted to show that I was going above and beyond. I wanted to show that also my passion was there to do it so that when the role became available, I was no offense, <laughs> the obvious choice, because 
I, I was so involved with it. Like I said, I accelerated, but obviously I still made sure to hit my numbers whilst I was in that IC role. I love hearing that the things that worked 20 something years ago are still working today <laughs> because that's basically what I would have said when somebody asked me 20 years ago, like, what did you do to move into this other thing? And it's, and it's one of the things that I tell people now, uh, yeah. if we go back even farther, you just mentioned something like, cause you had passion for this and the role and everything. Did you always have passion for sales? Did it just materialize through university? Where does that come from? Cause it's sure as hell, I wasn't born with it. That's for sure. It took forever to come to the surface for me. I feel like it's so rare. I never hear people being like, I knew from a young age. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I'm afraid I can't, I can't add to that. I, I did not know. I actually wanted to be in politics. Um, mm. I honestly, I, I went and lived in Japan for a year. I thought I was going to work in uh, the Japanese foreign embassy. Um, and then... <laughs> I know. And then um, I was actually, <laughs> I wanted a relaxed job that was good money and that <laughs> I could do. And, you know, I still have my weekends because I'd done, you know, travel, right. I wanted to, you know, live my life. And so I thought I'll take this easy. Um, what exact, what, what job is there out there, by the way, that does that? That yeah, I just I had this vision of me like at a desk, just like typing away. And I was like, you know, working girl. Um, and I didn't get that because I joined as an SDR at outreach. And all of a sudden, <laughs> my world, I didn't, I didn't know, you know, I had I have family who are in sales, to be fair. Mum, um, mum had a recruitment company. Um, dad sold diamonds. Uncle sells stationery. Sister sells. Whoa, like, whoa, whoa. hold on, hold on. She has a lot of role models. All of a sudden, she does. She's got yeah. a whole bloodline full of salespeople here. Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I do. Yeah. And so, but but what made you even up? You know, so here you are thinking you want this role. Yeah. You used, at least in the story you told. You said, well, yeah. can I just apply for this job at Outreach? Like, so what was it like, okay, that's not working. I need to find a job. So, you know what, sales seems natural because I've been around it all. But like, how did that, what was the transition there? I have a, I have a friend. She's now a team lead. I convinced her to join Outreach. I'll convince anyone to join Outreach. So if anyone's listening who wants to join Outreach, I'll convince you. But I had a friend, have a friend, uh, Lucy Collier. She's amazing. She's um, a team lead, now in Amir. SDRs and she was doing uh sales at a company called Datto she was an SDR then she went to become an account manager and she was raving about the SDR role told me Molly it's really good money and at the time I was working hospitality until I could find you know I'd finished uni college um and I just wanted a job honestly which was nine till five good money and that I didn't have to serve people all day, which was ironic because that's basically what you do as an SDR. Yeah, but yeah, exactly. that's what the dream yeah. was. That was yeah. the dream. You know what? Ironically, I was like, I can't be bothered for all these rude people anymore. Oh God, I just, God. I'm fed up with people clicking their fingers at me and, you know, Speaking calling me. 
yeah so I was like I'm gonna go and yeah my friend Lucy she said this is a really good role and I told my mom and I said to my mom I'm gonna go for a sales role I, you know I, I threw my CV out there for a couple of firm a couple of companies and my mom said moles I don't think you'd be very good for sales oh mm, <laughs> there's the there's the title of the episode when mom says yeah. I don't think you're going to be good at sales. wow yeah yeah she why did good. she say if if she was here and I said why did you tell your daughter she wouldn't be good at sales what would she have what would she say I think she would have said that I didn't have the bite for it because she was in recruitment and she was in like a certain type of recruitment and she had this recruitment company and she was, she's a very feisty woman. And I was, and I was like, it's going to be cold calling. She was like, you won't make it a day. And I was like, (laughs) how dare you? She was like, you know, and she said it in her way. You know, but my mum is an absolute saleswoman to her core. Every single thing she says to me is she's selling it. You know, I can't. Are you motivated still to prove her wrong every single day? Oh, she's like, she's the most stereotypical mum ever. She's so proud of me. I never doubted you for a second. You know, all that kind of stuff. And she's, she tells everyone, she tells everyone who will listen. She's got, I've got three sisters. Honestly, they don't get any airtime. It's all about me. All about listening to what my Molly's doing. My sisters, they're chop liver compared to me. Um, and no, she's super proud. She's super, super proud. And I mean, don't be wrong. My favorite thing is to ask her what outreach does. Because um, it is hysterical. She's like, CRM. I'm like, mm, okay, we'll work on it. <laughs> I try so hard. I'm like going up to people and they're saying, your mum says you work in tech. Can you fix my computer? And I'm like, I give up. Oh, God. I give up. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I am tech support for everybody in my family. It's the worst. <laughs> it's the worst ever, ever, ever. Yeah. So uh, that that's great. That that's a fun story. Like that's that's where the juice is uh, in hearing that. When my mom says, "I don't think you'd be good in sales." So, oh my! I God. mean, I had a recruiter one time tell me that the the first after about five months in my first sales job. I got passed over for this promotion and I was pissed off and I took one interview and this interview that I went to, the guy told me, I don't think you're going to be any good at sales. (laughs) And it is like right at the front part of my brain, even to this day, 20 something years later. And, you know, it's not a big stretch to draw the line between somebody saying something to me like that and me being motivated to prove them wrong. But it sounds like she's flipped it around on you now and is all, and is proud of you and all that is no longer trying to tell you, I don't know if you're going to be any good at all this. Does she she try to take credit mom? Of course she does. Like I said, I never doubted you for a second. I never doubted you. You were made for this. What do you mean I was made for this? You didn't think I should do it. Were you, were, you, were you competitive as a kid? Like, did you play sports and stuff? Or like, did you, or did you not realize how much you liked the thrill of this game? Yeah, I, um, I was, I was actually really not competitive, which is really weird. And I kind of hate that I have this because when I interview people, I want to know that they're competitive. I want to know they're on sports teams, but me myself, I was, I was never on a sports team. Um, and I think, do you know what it was? I think I went from, there was like 
two types of people, right? You're either, you either love to win more than you hate to lose, or you hate to lose more than you love to win. And I think I used to be someone who hated losing more than I loved winning, which meant that I knew I wasn't going to win at sports. This might shock you. I'm not the most, most, you know, hand-eye coordination. It's not my thing. And I knew I wasn't going to win. And so I found it really difficult to like want to participate. And then I don't know what it is. And I know that ruins the story that I can't tell you what moment it was, but I think it's now a place where I don't care if I think there's 95% chance I'm going to lose. I'll still give it my all because the prospect, that tiny percent chance of winning is so worth it. Whereas I never used to have that. That's awesome. But, but what, did so did this job and the role bring that out of you or was it had to have always been inside of you somewhere just latent and waiting for a reason to come out and it sport wasn't the thing to bring it out something yeah. was going to bring it out so what actually yeah. brought it out like how far into your first SDR role were you before you were like oh wow I actually do have this yeah competitiveness Oh my God. I know exactly. I, um, I was training when I was doing my onboarding to be an SDR and there was another, um, gentleman who was also onboarded with me and we were so competitive with each other and the, I was so bad when I was onboarded. Oh my God. I was like, really, I was, I was the person that everyone in the room looked at and they were like, she won't last. She ain't gonna, she's never going to be off ramping. Like she's not going to last. Um, and my manager now, Ken, he's the one who onboarded me when I was an SDR and he was team lead and he will literally, he admits it. He was like, you were always asking questions, which I know we say is a good thing, but he was like a bit worried. And then I, I, you know, booked more meetings, um, the first month that I was an SDR. And I remember I felt so happy and smug that all those people that had thought I was really useless were more useless than me you know I was the least useless and that that's one really of my really favorite useless. feelings in the world right there I was so about to say this is like Scott's like ideal oh theory. that's like the best feeling on earth to me it's so good isn't it and like that public yeah. praise I love like you know I think it's really important that you always know how you're motivated I'm a really easy person to motivate give me praise make it public you know feed my ego and I'll always be you know super happy um and outreach do that really really well they do everything else really well but they really give you kind of your spotlight and once I got it once it was like I would never allow myself to not finish first um I'm extremely competitive if you can't tell and I know I should say it more like you know, no, I don't think you should. I think it's absolutely think, okay. Yeah, you stop right there. Yeah, throw it out there and, so. and be like that. So we're gonna we're gonna flip it to you in a second. I'm gonna do the the sponsorship announcements, but obviously, Molly, we want to give you a chance to ask us some questions if you like. Um, thanks to our sponsors uh, for the month of June of Scratchpad, Sendoso, and our good friends at Outreach, who if you haven't heard enough good things about. Uh, I'm sure they're recruiting somewhere and certainly Molly's the one to go to in the UK if you want it. So, um, so please check those folks out. We couldn't do what we do without them. Also surf and sales event is coming up, um, in November. Uh, I think we're sold out for the first session and we've got a couple slots left. Molly, are you a surfer? Are you going to come join us? 
I was actually really scared that you'd ask me this. I am not a surfer. I've never touched a surfboard. Um, Most people haven't when they come. So. Okay. It's in so the phrasing I... of the question, Richard. Molly, have you ever been to Costa Rica before? Yeah. <gasps> no, but I'd love to go. See, see yeah. how that works, Richard? So see, that's, yeah. that's how you ask a discovery question properly. Right <laughs> Scott's much better at the layers and the personality stuff. So when Manny comes next week, you need to tell Manny you want to go to Costa Rica. So Easily. Done. I have my list of demands. Uh, <laughs> and so, you know, what, what would you like to ask us? We'll flip it to you if, if you've got a question or two. I... My question to you is, I feel like I shared quite a lot on like the mental health aspect of the role. And I feel like you both have been in the business for a while. What changes have you seen in terms of like attitude to kind of like the conversation we just had on having to take that break, having to say, hey, I'm actually not doing okay. How do you think that's changed since when you started to when you are now? Well, I I never would have been able to say that. Yeah. Yeah, when you say mental, uh, I'll take a mental health day. Like you couldn't say that out loud when I came along. No, um, no, we would we would have had to lie and call in sick, and that would have you would have been like you know I got twenty four hours to get my shit together right before I have to go back. So just even holding space to have the conversation is different. Mm. Let alone the far more empathetic responses from people who are your boss or your peer or even your team members or colleagues who you don't work directly with that just you're in the same kind of community of sales and revenue and leadership and all that kind of stuff. So there's far more, more support and willingness to engage in the conversation. There's a lot more people like the three of us who are open and talk about things that, uh, they've either gone through or are going through with varying degrees of specificity. So to say it's done a 180 is just like an understatement and not doing it justice. It doesn't mean that there's not farther we can go because as you said, not everybody's like outreach. Mm. So until everybody is like outreach, there's probably work, you know, to be done, but it's completely different. I never in my life could I fathom being given a week, let alone two weeks off. Yeah, completely. Just to decompress or take care of my physical health, let alone my mental health. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting how Scott even said, you know, we would have had to lie to call it and call it as a sick day. When in fact, you that's what a mental health day is. It's a sick day. Like it's a day, you you know, but it's like it's so ingrained in our psyche that way um i saw the turn well first of all i did i saw it in myself you know literally a couple of decades ago i'm that old um but in the last four or five years the stigma has been reduced because i think more people are talking about it um i'm a part of of an org called uncrushed that is particularly for salespeople that focuses on you know we're supposed to crush the number but what happens when the number crushes you so by the way, Molly, if you ever want to go tell your story, we, we post them and share them, that kind of stuff. It's a nonprofit. Um, we put out a report last year, the state of mental health and sales in 2021. We're collecting the data now for 2022. So for me, I feel like it's been definitely in the last few years, but I also know that's because it's part of me and my brand, right? Like, you know, someone wants 
someone had once asked Scott and I, like, what do you think your brands are? And Scott was smart and turned it around and, and they, and said, well, what do you think our brands are? And they turned around and they said, they had two answers. One was, you know, Richard, you're the mental health guy. And Scott, you're, I can't remember what you said, but that, that was sort of like the friendly version. And the other one was, you know, Scott is fuck you and Richard is, yeah, let's be friends. And so <laughs> I've seen that. I see that a lot, but I also think it's because I talk about it, the people who I am connected with are open to talking about it. So I know in my little bubble, it's like, oh, yeah. talk about outside. I know it's not there, but I know it's better. Like I do know it's better. I had a conversation with a couple other people today about it. So um, it's getting better. It's getting better. I know that Salesforce created in the last year and a half, Soberforce internally so that you know, look, you got 60,000 employees. There's a statistic percentage that they will, some of them will have abuse problems, right? Like it's just a known fact. And they finally realized it. And then I was talking to them too about like, well, when you do Dreamforce, you know, why don't you have a sober party, right? Like there's, an, you got 100,000 people who come to San Francisco. I'm sure you can find 5,000 who would love to go out, have a great time and not feel the pressure of yeah. substance, you know? And um, so it's happening, it's changing. I see it. What do you think? Do you think it's changing? Do you think it's too slow? Like, um, no, I think I think it is changing. I think it is changing. I think that, but like, I'm a massive advocate for obviously gender diversity in the workplace, and I do think kind of like leading with empathy and encouraging failure. A lot of the time. I'm quite skeptical when I hear like these words in podcasts because a lot of time it can feel like buzzwords but I think that with like with the improvement in gender diversity in the workplace and having more female leaders I do think it has had a positive impact on things on topics like mental health I am fully aware though that obviously men are the number one victim from mental health issues um so I think it's I think it's yeah I think it's interesting I think it's a sad truth um but I think that yeah I think there's still some way to go like what people say and what people actually think or what people's like you know company website says and how they actually view it internally is yeah the, the key to that if we in the study last year we talked about we asked people what when you were at your best peak performance, what were your managers doing to support you? And one yeah. of the interesting topics was they were being vulnerable about themselves. Yeah. And so it's like when it starts that way and being vulnerable and Manny leads by this, right? To your oh, point, yeah. right? you know, it's like, if Manny's willing to share his story, well, other people will too, right? Yeah. And, uh, and I think that's a huge piece. So that's a great question. We don't usually get that, that deep on a question from someone. Thank you. Sorry, should I have asked about surfing? It's key. No, I appreciate it. I appreciate you as deep as you did sharing your story. So um, it was awesome. It was really great. It's good to get to know you. Good. It was so much fun being on. Yeah, we're glad to have you and, and look forward to staying in touch. Yeah, amazing. Thank you, Molly. Thanks right. to everybody who's listening. We appreciate it. And uh, we will see you again next time. Thanks, Molly. Bye.